in this venue is someone who in his bio calls himself a radio whore, am I right? Is that right? Ra slut. Who's in charge? I'm free. <laughs> um, from a programming perspective, there's not a lot of young and talented programmers in this country, and I think Zane's walked a long route in terms of developing skills with a variety of radio stations uh, across a variety of formats and currently working with East Coast Radio in Durban. Uh, I respect the work that he does, and I think he's got some great programming tips and tricks that he can teach you. I think in terms of creativity, as well as technicality, he's really got a couple of things in his programming arsenal which I think could benefit you. And the session has got an hour and a half, and I think if you've got questions and interactivity, uh, it's probably the best way to go uh, about trying to share as much as we can. So for the next hour and a half in the programming masterclass, here's Zane Derbyshire. Thank you, Tim. Uh, I'm going to leave out the part where I introduce myself and tell you what I do. Um, we're going to be doing a masterclass focusing uh, on coaching and talent development today. Um, and we'll focus on why presenters need to become more efficient and what skills they need to be best at what they do. Um, you'll hear me use the term presenters a lot today. I don't use the term DJs. DJs are people who mix music in nightclubs and announcers are people who probably died out with Springbok Radio. So today we'll discuss tips and techniques uh, around coaching. Um, just by show of hands, who have you coached talent? And who have you get coached? Okay, so this, this will work for, for everyone. Um, we'll look at how and why uh, to use callers for better effect. Uh, and, and today's a masterclass, so we're not going to be talking about speaking in a conversational tone or how to prepare a link. Uh, we're really going to be going a little bit more higher grade. Uh, I'm happy at any stage. Uh, like Tim said, let's keep this as interactive as possible. Stop me, shout, put up your hand, do whatever you need to to get my attention. And, and, and let's, let's have a conversation rather than uh, me speaking at you. Um, we're also going to show you now how um, not to do a feedback session. Um, how do I make it play? Oh, hang on. There's a play button there. No. Cool. Oh, did I? Okay, there we are. Yes. So this is really what not to do. It was good. Oh, okay, great. Hold up. Uh, I do have a couple of notes. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, the files are on the folder as well. Now, word economy. You said the word nine twice? Yeah, yeah but that is in our station's call sign 99. No, it's not Trey Morgan, it's... Uh, I don't want to hear problems. It's I want every to hear single solutions. coaching or well, feedback session. I guess I session. could do the call sign in Roman numerals or something. Now you're 
five was it? All right, yeah, it was good. Okay, great. Hold up, I do have a couple of notes. Oh, okay. Now, word economy. You said the word nine twice? Yeah, but that is in our station's call sign, 99-2. I don't want to hear problems, I want to hear solutions. Oh, well, I guess I could do the call sign in Roman numerals or something. Now, your vibe was a little bit off. I want you to sound like the cool guy at the party that everyone loves, but also like you're catching up with your best friend one-on-one. -on -one. Any idea how I could do that? Hey, I'm not here to do your job, okay? Right. Now, length was an issue. That was a 12-second break. Could have been a quarter of that. What, three seconds? First second, ID and positioning statement. Second second, your caller and creative. Third second, music passion, forward sell, breakfast sell, major tactics sell, ID. Hit every post. That seems unrealistic. It's actually not that difficult. I was able to do it all the time when I was a jock, and that was without all this fancy equipment. We didn't even have microphones back then. A radio announcer in those <laughs> days learned how to project their voice across the market. Didn't you only ever do two on-air shifts? Yeah, but they were much longer shifts back then. Okay, so I need to be the cool guy at the party, but with the intimacy of catching up with a loved one, all within three seconds and with no doubling up on words, even if that word is twice in the call sign. Yeah, it's really simple. Oh, by the way, I'm going to need you to stay after work today and do three extra full-time jobs that you're not qualified or have any interest in. <laughs> so that's what not to do. Um, before we get into it, I kind of want to set the scene a little bit um, around where people are today. So according to a recent study, um, the average human attention span has fallen from 12 seconds in 2008 to 8 seconds in 2015. I can already see I've lost half of you. Um, the bad news about that is it really kind of puts us on par with goldfish. Um, and while the statistic may be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, we can all recognize behaviors around fragmented attention. Um, you know, and, and, and staying on top of your inbox, watching your Twitter feed have become two of life's constant challenges. Uh, we're always trying to consume more information across more devices than ever before. Uh, by way of an example, um, in 1805, uh, news of Nelson's victory at the Battle of Trafalgar took 17 days to reach London. That's a speed of 4.8 kilometers over a distance of 1.7, uh, 1,786.3 kilometers. By 1865, news of uh, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln traveled at 21 kilometers an hour and reached London in 13 days. Uh, how long does it take today? So in 2011, the tsunami that hit the coast of Japan, people in London knew about it in a little more than a minute. So the speed of that was 563,000 kilometers. Uh, so today, information is instantaneous, and, and there's just like a ton of it. Um, the volume of information that people are expected to consume uh, is almost equivalent to 200 newspapers daily. Uh, that's more than a five-fold increase since the dawn of the Internet. Now, more devices... Uh, of course, it means it's impossible for all this information, uh, and part of a reason, part of that is multi-screening. I mean, I can give you an example. We sit at home in the evenings and watching TV, and there's two of us, and there's two cell phones, and typically an iPad as well uh, that's going around. So 
we are always watching TV with one eye and sort of watching the cell phone uh, with the other eye, which um, isn't really surprising if, if you um, didn't know this. The average British household uh, now has four internet-enabled devices, and 5% of British households uh, own eight or more internet-enabled devices. So the big question is, what does this really mean you know, for brands, uh, especially uh, those in the, uh, in the radio space? And the brain is really highly efficient at filtering information and focusing on, on what's important. The limbic system helps us decide our initial response to stimuli and assess what's deserving of our attention. Uh, this ensures that we focus on only what matters. In this context, it's worth considering the importance to people of brands. Now, most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about brands. Those of us whose professional life is all about brands, well, we do. But for most people out there, there are many other priorities. Families, friends, work, sport, music, hobbies, life in general. Uh, and this is born out of the way people choose to engage uh, with most brand communications. We all know that click-through rates are minuscule. But when given the choice, the vast majority of people also choose to avoid ads. Um, over 80% of skippable TrueView video ads on YouTube are not watched to completion. Um, Ipsos has also found that a gradual erosion in levels of TV ad recognition uh, over time happens. The softening is coming from campaigns with high frequency, which is not great for radio, uh, and suggests that viewers still pay attention to new ads but they actively skip or passively tune out of ads that they've seen before. So the burning question, how can brands get attention? Skip past that. There we are. Um, so there are many ways to obviously get attention. Um, and success can be had by ensuring communications reflect what we know about consumer psychology and changing behaviors. For example, emotions drive behaviors. Now, much evidence has been accumulated um, in recent years that demonstrate how most of our decisions are driven by emotion rather than cognitive thought. Um, it's been proven that emotional campaigns uh, are a lot more successful at building long-term brand equity than campaigns based around rational messages, offers, or promotions. So um, we recently, how do I play the audio? Oh, cool. Only Michael Zoomerus, Maximus, Extremus, Kin Mix, Mary J. Blige, Robin Thicke, Michael Jackson, Megan Trainer, Destiny's Child, and TLC. Thank you, Michael Zoomerus, Maximus, for giving us the weekend. Okay, let's just stop for a sec. Who today could seriously not do with 20,000 Rand? Think about it. Price of everything's gone up. If you have a house, your bond's gone up. If you're renting, your rent has gone up. Groceries cost a fortune. And you've got your school fees and insurance and expenses, expenses, expenses. I can't think of a single person who could not do with an injection of 20,000 Rand in their bank account. Ask yourself this, right? End of the month. You go, to the, you go to your bank or you go to the ATM and there is an injection from somewhere of 20,000 Rand in your account. Tell me that would not change your life significantly. Well, that's what we're doing. 
with one call, with one life. Think about your family. Think about your kids. Think about the holiday that you want coming up or the birthday party that's coming up or a family function that's coming up and you just don't have the cash for it. Well, that can change and it can only change with one SMS. So SMS, change and your name to 33116 at a cost of one rand fifty, And then not one, but two opportunities for you this morning to get 20,000 rand. You can't win if you don't enter. So do it once. SMS change your name to 33116. Change your... So that was uh, a solicit for entries on a promotion we recently did with uh, One Life Insurance. And every day we ran promos, we ran live reads, and that morning we had two moments where we gave away 20,000 rand. And so my challenge to the breakfast presenter the day before was, how do you really drive entries? And hard selling it doesn't work. But that morning, within 60 seconds, we had over 15,000 entries, just based off that one sell, which was the biggest one single uh, entry for the entire campaign. Um, so emotions definitely drive behaviors. Uh, the other thing to get attention is to keep it simple. Um, at last year's Khan Festival, Keith Weed, he's the global CMO at Unilever, uh, he said it's no longer what's the greatest idea you've got, but what's the greatest idea you've got in five seconds. That doesn't mean all content now needs to be reduced to short-form vines and Snapchats, but it does mean that it should be understood quickly and easily. Um, our experience tells us that people won't work hard to understand your ads. So the most successful rarely try to communicate multiple messages or benefits. This is important when we consider doing promos, for example, for flagship shows. We have uh, a show on East Coast Radio in the evenings called East Coast Urban. And we've been working very hard to grow a, a new kind of audience for the show. And this is an example of one of the promos for the show. Let's go, go. First show right here on East Coast Radio. East Coast Urban. Hanging out with uh, Numza Mumbata right here on East Coast Radio. Listen, the urban people love you to bits. <laughs> One of my colleagues has blocked me on social media. And I can't understand. I've got a big mouth. I admit that. Oh, yeah. But why would you give me the secret of who in love? They have to the secret test. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my lover. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Let's go, go. So that gives you a very clear idea of, of what it's about, who the celebs are, what the sound of the music is, what the style of the presenter is, and it's really easy to understand. And if that's what you're into, hopefully you'll tune into the show in the evening and, and, and consume it. The third thing that uh, you need to do to get attention is to do something people care about. Um, Big ideas that resonate with people are, are more important than ever today. Uh, if we accept that the brain is highly efficient at focusing on what's important and deserving of attention, then surely it follows that brand communications need to be more successful if they tap into and resonate with deep-seated needs and high-order goals. Think um, of the campaign for real beauty that Dove did, or Like a Girl, that campaign that uh, Always did. These are big ideas uh, that provide the glue behind the constituent parts of the brand's communications and ensure that each element builds and deepens consistent brand associations in the consumer's minds. So 
you all have probably heard about the Sudwana Bay guest house owner, the guy who doesn't allow black people or government officials in his guest house. Now, this happened on our doorstep, and Monday morning we decided, come hello high water, we're getting this guy on our breakfast show. And uh, within a couple of minutes, our SMS line was just going absolutely crazy. And there were obviously two kinds of views coming through. The one was, bastard, he should not be allowed to operate a business. And the other one was, why are you giving this guy the kind of airtime? Uh, we podcast the full interview, which uh, wasn't the edited for air version, on our website. And again, within an hour, it had 14,000 views. Uh, just showing that if you really do some, if you do content that people care about, you get a good reaction. And uh, here's just a little snippet of uh, what it sounded like. Coming up on East Coast Breakfast. God made somebody to serve him, and God made somebody to serve the people who serve him. And you believe black people were made to serve white people, Andre? Oh, yes, according to the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, incidentally. You do not want to miss this one. 7.40, Tuesday morning, East Coast Breakfast. And it was interesting, once that interview had gone out, and again, we didn't get the credit in most media, but everybody picked up on it, and it uh, really started doing the rounds. So the other thing to really get attention is right place, right time, right context, right device. Um, data allows us to deliver the right content in the right moment and to gain attention uh, by maximizing the relevancy of communications. For example, it's more useful to serve an ad for burgers to a hungry person at mealtime than deliver an ad for cars to someone who's just bought a new car. Uh, programmatic ad buying can help achieve this by delivering ads to specific audiences and devices by deducing their interests and behaviors. Obviously, when you're on radio, that's really difficult to do. Um, the key we find is a lot of research. That's a very expensive solution. Um, but in order to understand what your audience wants and when they want it, research is critical. Uh, a, a measurement tool like RAMS is not going to tell you um, what to do. It's going to tell you how successful you're being at implementing your strategy. So doing something amazing. Um, this is another way to really, really grab attention. Uh, great creativity will always help you cut through the clutter. Increasingly, some of the best campaigns are making use of behavioral insights and using data to fuel ideas. Uh, for example, BA use real-time data to create digital billboards that show a boy pointing out of which plane uh, was currently flying above. So as you drive past the billboard, it says, look, BA 475 from Barcelona. Um, in New Zealand, VW partnered with the government uh, on a road, sa uh, the government road safety body, rather, and they use behavioral psychology to encourage people to drive more safely by getting their kids to draw a new speedometer for them. Those who took part said the reduced speed dial revolutionized their habits and made them much safer drivers and generated great PR, as you can imagine, uh, for VW. Uh, this is something amazing that uh, we did just last week. East Coast Breakfast. Okay, this could go down as the biggest moment in my radio career. After the song, we give away 250,000 rand to one lucky, lucky person. Just get your head around that. A quarter of a million rand is going away after this. So I love partnering with brands. And in that case, it was F&B. 
Uh, we ran a one-week campaign to give away a quarter of a million rand to one person. And the lady who won was so excited because she was a keen traveler and her father recently passed away and he always used to take her and her mother traveling and she wanted to do that for her kids. And so uh, it was beautiful and I unfortunately don't have the audio here and I should have brought it because uh, you have that classic moment where the caller cries just because she's so happy and those sorts of things are just absolutely amazing and there's nothing better than grabbing uh, people's attention than uh, three emotional moments like that. So all of this has been about brand and marketing, right? And why is all of this important for you? Because in this attention-starved age that we live in, your presenters, or you as a presenter, literally have five seconds to make an impact when you open your mouth. Because flipping the switch to another radio station or medium is really easy and because getting the audience back, well, that's not. Um, there's a guy called Thomas Geiger. He has a website called Radio I Love It. And he took um, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, and he worked them for radio personalities, and they're called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Presenters. So I, I want to run through some of these uh, with you today because I think they're really, really important. So the first one is finding your own voice. Um, you know, you want to give people a reason to listen to you and not your competitors. And when you're working uh, in a show, it's important to determine your basic image for your show. You know, is it a newsy, funny, celebrity, more music show within that time slot? And um, what is the benefit that the audience gets from you that they don't get from anyone else? You know, if you're a station for... 35 to 54-year-olds, uh, and perceptual research indicates that you already own the news image. Would you like to carry a new category and claim local news? Uh, your overall attitude, are you the left, family-friendly show that is always looking at the bright side, or the conservative guys, uh, or the guys only hangout, um, that's commenting from a sort of a more cynical point of view? I think a lot of shows miss the mark because they haven't predefined who they are and what they're about. Um, also, he says, make your imaging unique to sound significantly different from other shows. I think from a station perspective, that's something that a lot of programmers don't spend enough time on, is how your imaging sounds. How are you crafting the whole thing and putting it all together in a way that sounds really different? Uh, on a more personal note, um, you know, a lot of presenters struggle with developing a personal identity, especially when you come to a radio station like ours, which has a format, and you think, oh my gosh, I have to disappear into this format. And a format, in my view, doesn't dictate, it dictates what you do. It doesn't dictate how you do it. You know, if, if we wanted 10 Darren Malls on the radio, who's our breakfast host, we'd just pre-record Darren and keep him on air all day. But each person that comes to the station brings something unique. So it's about finding your personal USP. And, and it's always a difficult thing with younger presenters when you say to them, what are your USPs? You know, what are you famous for? What do you want to be famous for? And, and, and a lot of people struggle with that. Um, it, it, it seems like an obvious thing, but it's, but, but it's really not. Um, and speaking about being consistent but unforeseeable, I mean, it, it's really about what are people famous for at the end of the day. So you think about international presenters, Ryan Seacrest, Chris does the sleaze, Scott Mills does Innuendo Bengo. Um, 
In South Africa, Darren Simpson, phone pranks. Gareth Cliff, he's controversial. Bonang, ask a man. Uh, Barney Simon, he's a rock legend. Um, you know, I, I think it's so important to take what you have but reinvent it uh, on a continual basis. And a lot of people uh, need to spend time thinking about that as well. Structuring content and planning and production. I think uh, you need to have an image, literally have an image of your target listener in your mind. Uh, you need to use content filters for what he or she cares about. Not in general, uh, but in detail. You know, it's not about finance. It's about struggling to get by every month. Uh, it's about how you address it when you do promotions. For example, uh, we do a thing at the beginning of the year called Pay Your Bills. And it's particularly around end of Jan, people are having a really tough time. You know, December was big, bigger than it should have been. And, and, and we, need to, we need to help people out. Um, there, there are a lot of prep services around will tell you uh, ideas and and stuff that you can use, but I, I really um, am not a big fan of that. I think designing and collecting your own material is so much more powerful and authentic. Um, the one thing that presenters never do and really should uh, is keeping a database of ideas and inspiration. You know, uh, on your phone, on a piece of paper, on a book, if you write it on your wall in the shower. I don't know about you, but I always get my inspiration when I'm in the shower in the mornings, and then I always forget it by the time I get out. Um, and also, I think it's important to have a timeline for your content. You know, you might have a great idea in April that'll work really well in December, uh, around Christmas. Um, and, and, and understanding that it's not just about the radio show anymore. There's so many other things. Um, one of our biggest successes over the past 18 months has been social media and online content, especially for our breakfast show. Um, we, about two years ago, hired social media producer for the breakfast show and all she does is social media and online content for breakfast um, and at the time uh, breakfast was one of the worst performing pages on our website which is pretty shocking um, we had a social media uh, st we didn't have a strategy we had a Facebook page that had about 10,000 likes uh, we had a Twitter account that had about a thousand likes and we started focusing on it. Um, today, the Facebook page is 200,000 likes, but that's not the big number. The big number is, is the reach. It reaches about two to five million people a week, depending on how good the content was. Um, that's also still not the great number. The engagement level sits between 700,000 and 1.2 million people who interact with the content on a weekly basis. Um, I'm a little embarrassed to say that that's higher than our station cube numbers on FM. So the power of social media and understanding how the content needs to be treated on the different levels is so important. I think when you have a piece of content that lives on FM, that lives online, that lives on Facebook, that lives on Twitter, if it needs to live on Instagram, that lives there, if there's a visual element to it that needs to be thought through. Not all content, by the way, needs to live on all platforms. I think some content is exclusively important for the radio show. Some is better for Facebook. But it's about how you think about treating the content differently that's really, really important. So it's also important if you're working on a um, team, in a team environment, so for example, a breakfast show, that you build a winning team. You know, um, having a great host is great, but 
that's not going to get you to the next level. You have to have the right people around you. Uh, what we do with our breakfast show is we have an executive producer who's actually the boss of the show, and the host of the show is not actually the boss. So we take the pressure off him, and when something goes wrong, uh, the executive producer gets it, not the, not the presenter of the show. Uh, that does cause for interesting dynamics at times, but it's about finding the right mix of people on the air as well as the right mix of people off the air to deliver on the objectives of the show. I think it's very uh, expensive to do that, I must be honest. Uh, our breakfast show has four producers that work on it and three on-air talents. So it's a team of seven people, um, and that uh, is not a cheap thing to do. But it really works well because each person knows exactly what they're there for. And I think that's the other thing when you're working uh, in a group and building a winning team is to clearly define roles for each of the people on the show. So we have Darren Maul is our host on our breakfast show. He's a funny guy. He's a guy with a big heart. He loves to have fun, make jokes. He's sometimes a little silly. Our co-host, Natara, she is uh, pregnant at the moment, so she's very mumsy. The, the good girl keeps Darren on the straight and narrow. And Sky is our sports presenter. He's a player. He's out there. He uh, likes pretty girls, and he always gets himself into trouble. He likes to go out. And so we have very clear defined uh, roles for them. And Darren won't do something that's kind of in Sky's space. Sky won't do something that's in Atara's space. So we plan the content very carefully uh, in the day before. Developing your personality and skill set. You know, this goes back to what we were speaking about earlier around your USPs, your unique selling proposition. Um, opinions expressing yourself about what you think and feel, letting your audience in on your personal life. This is so important. You know, I'm not talking about, oh, my wife made supper last night. It was great. It was macaroni and cheese. When you're on the radio, you're there because you're doing something extraordinary. You're meeting extraordinary people. Weird things happen to you. And those are the kinds of things that your audience loves to hear about. They also like to hear that you took your daughter to school for the first time today and you cried your eyes out because that's relatable. Um, life experience is so, so critical, especially if you're doing a drive show. Uh, often you find super talented kids who move up the ranks really quickly and get to a drive show, but they don't have the gravitas to deal with it. Uh, doing a breakfast or a drive show really requires uh, a lot of life experience because it gives you stories to share. And we'll talk about storytelling in a second. Um, developing your personality also means you're disciplined and you work hard and you have a goal in mind. You know, from Segway driving to content pre-selling, from voice delivery to storytelling techniques, you've got to continuously grow in every way. The next one might be a bit of a contradiction. Be a likable person. I think there are many well-known radio talents who are not necessarily likable people, but perhaps people like to hate them. Um, and, and this doesn't just go about being a nice, friendly guy next door. It also goes about when someone posts on your Facebook page, whether you respond, or when someone sends you a tweet, whether you retweet them or whether you get back to them or even just acknowledge them. Um, you know, being extroverted is always an advantage um, because some of the greatest radio people in the world are the biggest introverts and they walk into a radio studio and they put the headphones on and suddenly they come alive. I think that's a very old school way of being. If you want to 
be on radio, you have to be on all the time. Because when you're in a mall, one of your listeners comes up to you and they want to take a selfie, you've got to be as up for it as you would have been at quarter past seven that morning. Um, so the realities are you can't just hide in a basement and produce a great show. You know, um, you need to be visible through social media. Uh, you know, that's really, really important. I think we sometimes underestimate the value of talent who are, and not all presenters are going to be good on social media, but then get a social media producer who can pretend to be that person and speak in that person's tone so that you get the kind of engagement that you're really looking for. The last one is supporting your radio station. You know, so often you have these big DJs who think they're bigger than the station. You know, and the reason you're big today is because you got there via the platform that you were on. And no matter how popular you are, you're part of a bigger entity. And the best advice I can give on-air talent is form an alliance with your program manager. You know, go sit in his office and have coffee. Bug him. Send him ideas. Get to know him because there's nothing better than sharing content ideas in an honest and open way. Um, you know, you've also got to think about your brand image and the programming strategy of the station and how is what you're about, does that reinforce what the station is trying to achieve? Are you horizontally and vertically cross-promoting upcoming content? This is so important. Uh, one of my biggest challenges I have is getting presenters to either replay great moments from other shows or promote other shows. Presenters do not want to do that. I don't know what it is, if there's a self-centered ego that's uh, getting in the way. I suspect that is what it is. But when there was a great moment on the breakfast show this morning, I don't care the afternoon drive team are going to replay it. And sometimes they do it with a lip on the ground, but they usually do it. And I just think that it's arrogant to assume that if you play a piece of great content once, that your whole audience heard it. They definitely didn't. So that is a very, very important part about supporting the station. Um, you know, and things like the station brand, giving when you're on air to do the correct messaging around the positioning statement, uh, are you playing the imaging in the right place? Um, connecting with your morning show. A again, you know, if, even if you're doing the midnight to four show, go to Facebook, see what the breakfast team did. That's the station's biggest opportunity to draw in more listeners. And when breakfast show wins, the station wins. And when the station wins, you win. Um, one of the things I... I don't like is our show names. You know, um, you'd have heard our breakfast show is called East Coast Breakfast, only because we needed to find a collective to refer to the people who work in the morning. Um, so a show name has to be functional and clearly tell the audience, you know, what it is. Um, and you can't tick a show name in a Rams diary. You know, at the end of the day, if you're doing something on air, it's either got to do one or two things. It's either got to bring in more listeners or bring in more money. If it's not doing that, it's not worth doing. And so show names, in my view, are not worth breaking your neck about. Rather say the personality's name and build your personality's brand, and say your station name and uh, build your station brand. So I've got a case study that I want to show you now. Uh, it's about coaching tips and techniques. Um, and you're all obviously familiar with BBC Radio 1. Um, ben Cooper is the controller of the station. Um, and in September 2012, he replaced Chris Moyles 
with Nick Grimshaw, which was quite a odd thing to do because Grimshaw was doing like stand-ins on the late night show and he was actually a weekend presenter. So before we get into it, um, you know, I think from a coaching perspective, and I was talking to some guys about this earlier, you know, if you're not meeting with your morning show at least two to three times a week on coaching specifically, and with the rest of your daytime talent two to three times a month, um, you know, you're probably failing. I got to put my hand up. I haven't, uh, hadn't met with my uh, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. teams in about three months, and I squeezed them all in yesterday, and as talent is when they come to coaching sessions, everyone sort of sheepishly came in. Um, but I think, you know, the most important part about giving uh, your team's feedback is to develop them. You know, at the end of the day, you're not sitting there shouting at them for five things that they don't do according to the presenter guide. I think that's uh, important to imply, but uh, it's also more important to work with them in a way that really grows and develops them. So uh, looking at programming risks, you know, um, Ben Cooper uh, said that they needed a new voice at breakfast, which was going to affect the audience. At the time, Radio 1 was a uh, growing audience and growing audience, and Chris Moyles was actually doing very well. But they were growing the wrong kind of audience. They were starting to infringe on their sister station, BBC Radio 2's audience, and the mandate from the guys upstairs, uh, the Slaudi of uh, BBC, was to make the audience younger again. Um, and so... Uh, Ben Cooper decided that some dramatic changes were needed, and at the same time, they needed to attract these new listeners um, who would buy into a new BBC Radio 1 breakfast show. Um, and Grimshaw uh, was his guy. He um, joined BBC Radio 1 in 2007, so he'd only been uh, at the station for five years. Uh, as I mentioned, he was doing a weekend morning program. Uh, he was doing stand-ins on late nights, uh, and he recalls being very nervous, not really knowing what he was going to do for the first three or four months, and he says then it just clicked. And I think that's the important thing. When you're going to a new show, it's always difficult to find your feet. Nobody goes in guns blazing and understanding what it is that they need to do. Even if you've been on the station for a while, when you get put into a new time slot, uh, your personality focus does need to change somewhat because the needs of your listeners are obviously different in the different times of day mentioned this earlier, capturing listeners by storytelling. So uh, Grimshaw says that mornings were fundamentally different for him. And I think anybody who's done a breakfast show will know that it is fundamentally different from anything else on the station. He says, at night I was conscious of rambling on about Justin Bieber's haircut or what was on EastEnders, whereas in the morning I felt more comfortable in chatting and talking. Presenting a morning show also involves interviewing pop stars, he says, and it's almost easier having those guests in. They're there to promote their album, so they've got to be enthusiastic. There's 7 million people listening. Uh, Grimshaw has a busy nightlife, and he has many celebrity friends. Therefore, um, he's well-known uh, from television and tabloids, and although it may help to promote the show, Ben Cooper doesn't consider uh, this public exposure to be essential for success. I think the point there really is around re relatable, you know, uh, Nick Grimshaw 
goes out, he hangs out with the celebrities that he interviews. So he gets to share stories and tell stories that very other few pe- very few people could authentically do. Um, you know, and, 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 and Ben Cooper says there are many ways that we can find people who connect and tell a great story. Um, I recently got exposed to two girls. They're called the Thinker Girls. They do a radio show on the KISS Network in Australia. Um, I try to find suitable audio to play to you today, but I couldn't. Um, they talk about anything and everything. Um, most recently, they uh, spoke about having unprotected sex and what you as a woman do afterwards. And they both had two very sort of differing views on what they did. Um, and the show has been on air for about six months, so it's still fairly early to tell. But there's a lot of positive uh, talk about them and uh, something to watch closely. I think the important thing around them is the way they sit and react. So they're two friends sitting in a studio, having a chat, talking about stuff girls talk about when they were their friends, uh, having a glass of wine in the evening. They're on in the evenings from 7 to 9. So it really uh, is an interesting concept. Um, career goals are important. If you're a presenter and you're currently in a show that you're not entirely happy with, have you got a goal where you want to be? A one-year goal, a two-year goal, a five-year goal, a ten-year goal. Um, it's very, very important. Nick Grimshaw said that presenting the breakfast show was a childhood dream come true. Um, he actually said to his parents, once he got started on BBC Radio 1, they were just too thrilled. And by the first six months into the gig, he said to his dad, I want to be on breakfast. And his dad said, well, that's very big. Chris Moyles, probably not likely. And uh, that was his goal, and he's ultimately there. So I think it's important to kind of go and sit down and sometimes write them down on a piece of paper, stick them on your fridge, go look at them every time you open the fridge to have something to eat. Um, Another one that's really important is honest air check feedback. You're not going to get honest air check feedback from your friends or from your parents. They're going to tell you that it was the best radio show they'd ever heard, and it probably wasn't. Um, Speak to your program manager. He or she will give you honest feedback. Um, Don't speak to people that necessarily like you too much. They're going to give you dishonest feedback. Um, You know, I think it's also useful to have an outsider. Program managers, you know, we often get sucked into the politics, the bullshit, the drama, and we can't see the wood for the trees. So uh, we have a station consultant we work with, and I ad hocly send him audio, and I'll think, wow, this is such a great piece. I'm going to send this to him. He's going to email me back, and he's going to sing my praises, and then I get a reality check. That was shit. Um, That's my best attempt in an Australian accent as well. Um, You know, and I think you also, as a program manager, need to be truthful and honest. Don't be the guy or girl who only gives negative feedback. Uh, When someone shoots the lights out, make a big fuss about it. Uh, And when things go wrong, address them in an honest but constructive manner. You know, looking at what went wrong, why did it go wrong? You know, that's always the important part. And then what do you do to prevent it from happening again? I think the other thing that's really, really important is to know your talent. You know, there's no template for coaching. Anyone who's ever done feedback with presenters will know that 
each of them need to be uh, approached with a different set of gloves. You know, and it's almost sometimes, and this really happens to me, I intend to bring someone in to give them a coaching session, and for an hour, I have to hear about their children who didn't sleep, and their husband's car that broke down, and how crap the salary at the station is, and they don't know what to do anymore, and blah, 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 blah. And at the end, they actually walk out there, and tomorrow they come back and they do a much better show. So managing your talents uh, using psychology uh, is really important. And I think for my next office, I want to get one of those long couches that the talent can lie down on and just talk and let it all out, because that's really sometimes what, what is required. <laughs> yeah, shocking them into, in, into uh, reality is also good. Um, I want to talk about the last point, um, which is selling the music. Um, but before we do, I want to play uh, a video for you. Uh, this guy is um, a presenter on Z100 in New York. Uh, he self-airchecks himself and does videos of the airchecks. Uh, but... What I want you to pay attention to are just two things. One, how short the links are, but two, how much character and content actually comes out. Can you play it off the file? Thanks. State hey, what's happening? It's Trey. Coming up this hour, requested Omi. Also, Fallout Boys latest. That new song from Demi Lovato, now DJ Snake and Aluna George. This is New York's number one hit music station. Man, Demi Lovato wasn't messing around at her cool for the summer pool party. When she was finished performing, she just jumped right in the pool. Her latest cool for the summer, Z100. I don't know if you follow Robin Thicke on Twitter, but if you do, you probably saw this. He tweeted out saying the video he shot with Flo Rida for I Don't Like It, I Love It. It's one of the funnest videos he's ever done. I don't like it. I love it, love it, love it. Uh-oh. Number one for new music. Now, did you see Tori Kelly on the BET Awards? I know what you're thinking. Tori Kelly, BET Awards? Yeah, and she killed it. Here's our latest. Should have been us. Check it out. Walking around with my head down, but I can't. From the top the Empire State Building. All right, New York City. It's Trey. And coming up, we have Weekend. Also, the latest from Selena Gomez. Now, David Guetta and Nicki Minaj. Hey, mama. This is New York's number one hit music station. B100. Number one for new music. Girls watching Selena Gomez's video for Good For You getting all jealous. Not because of how sexy Selena Gomez looks, but because she's in the shower and her mascara doesn't run at all. How did she do that? I know, right? <laughs> Videos on demand now, Z100.com. Selena. I'm a 14 cat. Like Instagram celebrity, the fat Jewish is obsessed with pizza. I'm obsessed with this song. I would eat it if I could. <laughs> Weekend. Can't feel my face. And I know she'll be the death of me. At least we'll both be numb. And she'll always... So maybe the link about eating uh, I can't feel my face not the best in the world. But 
how much content did he actually get through? How much prep work did he actually have to do to know all that stuff? Um, it's important to, to kind of be aware of what's happening on your playlist. Um, and it's, the most important part is to be passionate about the music. If you listened to him, you'd have thought, oh my gosh, this guy just loves pop music. But he's really professional at what he does, and he really sells the music with an absolute passion. Um, you know, your station's music positioning needs to be target characterized by two things. Your target market uh, and your music format. Now, your format's hopefully informed by research, uh, and that should tell you which songs you play and which songs you don't play. Um, and songs that make the playlist should usually fit those genres. However, from time to time, it's pretty cool to have massive pop hits that stray slightly from your key genres. So, you know, it gives your jocks something to talk about. We often uh, use the term spice tracks uh, on our station. And spice tracks are, are not necessarily uh, those 80s classics that you don't always play. But it could be a brand new song that's blown up on social media. Um, a recent example is the new track from Calvin Harris and Rihanna. Now, by all accounts, quite a nice, vibey, dancey song. Probably a little bit too hot for the East Coast Radio playlist. But we've been throwing it in here and there, and just from those odd spikes that it's had, we've seen in research the surgence of the song. And uh, I hate to admit it, but it's probably going into an A or B rotation uh, next week. So spice tracks uh, are really good. Don't let them pass. Take credit for playing them. Uh, and if they're older songs and there's stories or memories around them, uh, share those. Tell the listeners why you like them. Uh, that makes you a lot more relatable to your listeners. And the final thing on selling music is always think about the mood. You know, what, what mood are your audience in? Is it Friday afternoon? Are they ready to go home? Is it Monday morning at quarter past seven after a great weekend? Is it 3 p.m. in the afternoon and they're lagging a little and they're looking for a little bit of a uh, revival? Those sorts of things are really, really important. The next thing I want to talk about is using callers. Um, the reason using callers is really important for your radio station um, is because 84% of consumers say they completely or somewhat trust recommendations from family, colleagues, and friends about products and services, making these recommendations the highest-ranked source for trustworthiness. So by example, and is the, the station who does this the best is probably 5FM. After a great mix on the Roger Good Show, those callers are just flying in, telling Roger how great the music on the radio station is. Now, what's better than your listeners telling other listeners how great your radio station is? Because it's not you saying, hey, we're the best. We have the best DJs. We play the best music. It's the listeners saying that. Um, 947 does a particular good job with... Uh, their WhatsApp hotline after the prank with uh, Darren Simpson in the morning. Five or six canned calls coming through going, that was so funny, that was so great, oh my gosh, my kids are laughing. It just makes it sound real, it makes it sound bigger, and it lets the other people know who are listening that they're listening to a great radio station. 58% um, of consumers say that they share positive experiences with the company um, and ask family, colleagues, and friends for their opinions about brands. So callers are just an absolute 
essential and the way you use them is even more important. I think getting the right callers on the radio is a critical job. If you're doing a breakfast show or a drive show, the presenters don't have the time, the energy, or often the inclination to find great callers. So a producer or a call screener who's able to find great callers, one, who match your station strategy, two, who are very articulate, and three, sometimes those who can be funny or really emotional or angry are brilliant. Uh, we have a guy that phones our breakfast show every time we talk about Donald Trump. Uh, so Darren Moore, our host, is, as you can imagine, not a big Donald Trump fan. And so sometimes goes on a little bit of a rant. And the other morning, this guy phoned through again. And we thought, hang on, we're going to put him on air. And he went absolutely crazy, threatening to come and find Darren. But he was so angry that it was so beautiful to listen to. And about 15 seconds into the call, he just slammed the phone down. Uh, so those sorts of uh, tactics to get emotion out of your callers. And we're not talking about just funny here. Angry, sad, emotional. They're great. Um, so the final bit I want to play for you um, is around using callers. And uh, this is from a guy who's a host on um, Hit 105 in Brisbane, in Australia. Um, can we maybe play that video? I like to be super vibey and super energetic when talking to them, whether it be answering the phone like really, really vibey and treating them like you're, you're, they're your friend. The way I talk to callers is like I would talk to my mates essentially, so guy callers, I call them bro, um, sometimes I call girls babe, like stuff like that, how I'd actually talk to my girl and guy friends. I think that makes the caller more comfortable and a bit more open to expressing themselves. I used to write down a list of questions to ask them, I think that's great if you're first starting. But when you get a bit more experience, I think it's easier just to flow into calls and you kind of go into each shift knowing what you want. I ask a lot of questions about the tactics that we do if we're doing a specific one and have in my mind where I'm going to use that down the track. My top tips from callers is being energetic, being fun, being friendly and making them feel like they're not just a caller of the radio station but that you're one of your mates and that'll get them calling back again. So that is where... I leave it for now. Um, I'm hoping you guys have some questions. Or I've bored you all to death and you want to sleep. <laughs> we recovered from the brand <laughs> Yeah. When I'm broadcasting or when um, I'm giving advice to another broadcaster as to what, what to do, I always say um, try and give the listener as much value for as little amount of time as possible. But sometimes you feel as though you're cheating the listener. How short is too short? Well, the, the, the question is probably how long should a link be? You know, um, When I was doing a, a coaching session with our Often Drive team yesterday, we do a feature, uh, not a rocket science feature, it's called Five Calls Say It All. And we have a topic, and then the boys yesterday kind of, or on Monday, which, when we, which show we air-checked, kind of messed it up. And they, they threw out a topic um, that wasn't really going to be determined by five calls, but there were such compelling uh, things coming through. They were speaking about what cravings women have while they were pregnant. 
And the one woman craved handy andy. <laughs> the one woman craved sand. The one craved baby powder. And the link ended up, from start to finish, being six and a half minutes. Now, I think we can all agree six and a half minutes is probably too long. But while you're listening to it, the content that was coming through and the interaction with the listeners was so compelling that you almost want to forgive them for doing a six and a half minute link. But I think, you know, um, a link is only as long as it should be. And, and that, that really doesn't help anyone either. I know that's more co complicated than, than it should be. Our 9 to 12 host did a t call topic the other day about being scammed with your credit card. And she did two two-minute links on it. They were way too long. Way too long. She could have done both links in 45 seconds. And so it's really about understanding the power of the story again. Does the story need you to spend six and a half minutes on it? Or does it need you to spend 30 seconds on it? This, uh, the example I played for you, um, you know, around Cool for the Summer. Demi Lovato jumped in a pool after the video shoot. That's all he needed to say. You know, what more could you have said that, than that? And I, I felt that I wasn't robbed by, by him being tight and concise. Granted, his energy levels and his presentation style might not always be the right way, but he works on a CHR station in New York City. So arguably, that works for them. Um, but, but the answer to your question is really, it's as long as it needs to be. And I think any good link has to have a, a reset, an execution, and a tease. You know, and I think that's one of the things that you can speak on for hours, the art of teasing, you know. Um, and, and, and again, that, that six and a half minute link I spoke about, they reset the topic they were talking about. They took callers for five and a half minutes, and then they teased to a really uh, great replay of that breakfast show interview with the Sidwana Bay guy. So they had all the elements in the, in the link, but, 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 you know, the link was too long. And I think teasing and throwing forward is... is are different you know there's a throw forward which is hey stick around the news is coming up in five minutes or there's a major uh, incident on the n1 south we've got the details for you in three minutes if you're traveling on the n1 south that's going to be a lot more compelling than uh just saying traffic's coming up next so i think teasing versus um throwing forward is absolutely critical um and it should be thought through before the time Um, how possible is it for, for the radio station to have that signature tune? Um, for instance, if I tune into East Coast Radio, uh, without even uh, listening or hearing a jingle, uh, I know this is uh, East Coast Radio playing that kind of music. So how, how possible it is for, for other radio stations to have that signature? Because um, the radio stations that I've seen that uh, have that signature is uh, East Coast Radio and Radio 2000. So if I know, even if I don't, I haven't checked my radio that is on ninety four point two, but I know it's East Coast Radio because of kind of that yeah. music. So what is the so what is the best uh, secret for you for, for for you guys to be succeeding like this? I think what's important is is to go back to, to the very beginning. So what is the strategy of the radio station? And who's the target market? Um, we did a market study uh, where we researched radio listeners in KZN not just target market radio listeners, but all radio listeners. Um, and we surveyed a thousand people um, across all demographics, uh, across all income groups, and we got a very clear picture of, of what people wanted and what the optimal music position was for us. So in other words, creating a sound that will most attract, uh, will, will, creating a sound that will attract 
the most people uh, within our format. Uh, we couldn't uh, turn off the radio station and become uh, a, a hip-hop quieto station tomorrow because that's not our license conditions. But we're licensed as an adult contemporary station. And so every single song that gets put onto the playlist uh, is, is, put, is played out in a way that has a certain sequence and a certain feel. Um, and so hopefully, you know, by making sure we have the right music on, uh, it's another way to just sell who, to the audience who we are and, and what we're about. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, the odd spice track is good here and there because it creates something different, especially for your P1s. Um, but being um, reliable as opposed to predictable uh, is very important, especially when it comes to, to the music on the station. And, you know, once you've got an idea of what the music is that you should play, the music that you then test must also fall in line with that because it's pointless if we'd made a decision not to play rock music, to put rock music into our music test because it doesn't fit with the sound of the station and who we are. So the sound of the station always comes first and everything else comes after that. Uh, just a question here. One of the things that you spoke about was obviously the importance of teams and what that can come across in terms of the on-air sound. Now, from that, how would you go about putting together a really effective team and generally how long does that take? First prize is to find people who are either friends or who like each other. Um, that sounds like a tall order. But if you think about spending three hours in a small box with people that you don't like, you're not going to be at your best. We're asking you to share about your personal life. We're asking you to be relatable. We're asking you to be a rock star. We're asking you to be happy and excited to be at work. But then we lock you in a room with two other people who you absolutely hate. What's going to happen? You know, we, we had an example two years ago. All three people are still at the radio station, but we put together what we thought was a good drive show. And within six months, the host and the two co-hosts absolutely hated each other. Um, that we'd have sessions in my office where two of the three would be crying uh, because they're so incredibly unhappy and miserable with their lives. And, and individually, they were all three fantastic. In fact, the one guy, the, the host is still our drive host. The one guy is the producer of The Breakfast Show now, and the other girl does our 9 to 12 show. Uh, and so individually, they're great, but as a team, they're not. And I was listening to 5FM uh, yesterday afternoon, and Rob Forbes and Fix were doing the drive show for Roger. And I don't know how well they knew each other when they started out, but those are two mates now. You can just hear by the absolute way they finish each other's sentences, and they really like to be together. Um, you know, another good example was Grant and Anele. They were real friends, and they did a show together so well, and they were so successful because they liked each other. Um, you know, so many times um, program managers think, oh, uh, we've got a white host, we need a black co-host, let's just stick some random person into the show. And, and what happens? They don't like each other, you know. Or you arrive at work at 1 o'clock and you get told at 2 o'clock, hey, you've got a new co-host, she's on air at 3 o'clock with you. You know, that's how program managers sometimes think. And that's the worst thing you can do. I would suggest if you're planning on building a team, involve your key talents, so whoever the centerpiece of the show is, if you've decided that, involve them in interviewing other people. A lot of presenters, you'll find, are a lot more supportive of your strategy if you let them think that they have a say. They don't always have to have a say, 
They must just think that they have a say. You sometimes have to use the art of persuasion to make them think it was their idea. But that's still good enough. Um, so I think, you know, involve them as far as you can. If you've got a, a team show and the traffic girl is leaving, um, you know, once you've made up your mind, pick two people and let the team interview them. Sometimes video that because it's great content, actually. Um, and, and the team will, you'll, you'll see from the, the interaction with the team instantly whether it'll work or not. I mean, it takes us like four or five seconds to make up our minds about someone when we meet them. So you'll instantly see whether it's working for your team or not. Any more questions for Zane? Neil. Oh, I'm nervous about this one. <laughs> and talk about HX. Yeah. It's every person's nemesis, including the person doing the HX. Yes. Um, how much financial information do you divulge about revenues through shows? And is it good or bad? Um, so we pay our, our presenters their fee, and we also pay them a quarterly incentive based on performance, audience numbers, revenues, social media, visual content, blah, 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 blah. So I have to be kind of honest with them because when times are tough, they don't get incentive bonuses. Um, but we, you know, we generally keep our staff informed about business performance. And every month in a staff meeting, we'll tell the staff how we're tracking. Um, we haven't yet seen a commercial impact from, say, putting a presenter on a show and then the revenue on the show particularly started dropping. I mean, um, if that was the case, uh, you know, you'd have to contemplate what the problem was. Um, and if the audience numbers were amazing, it would be a difficult decision. If the audience numbers weren't great, well, you'd fire them and put someone else in there who can make more money for you. That's really the cold, simple answer. Do you, do, but do you think it's a good idea to tell them what their revenues are going through their shows? No, I don't think specifically to their shows it is a good idea. And then the second question was, how much are you guys pre-recording, pre-producing pieces, not only for breakfast, but across the board? Because what I'm finding is that, you know, obviously... There is a case where you can't get the person into studio live, so you'll go out and record the interview. That happens all, like once in a while. But this whole notion of actually pre... Jocks ten, 10 years ago would pre-record their links and play them in or pre-record the call mm. and play them in. But what I'm talking about is packaging stuff yeah. for specific shows or, or features. Um, what we do is with breakfast, we very rarely do live interviews um, unless it suits the person to come in and do a live interview. Um, main reason is our... Breakfast show host is very self-indulgent and he will yak on and yak on and yak on and yak on and talk the biggest load of crap. Uh, even though the producer had planned the interview and structured it in such a way that, you know, they should, it should take two, three-minute links or whatever the case is. Um, so we really do it for that reason. Um, and however, we try to package it in such a way that it still sounds like it's live. Um, I know that's cheating a little bit, but there's nothing... I hate more, and, and, and again, it's poor planning, but sometimes the presenter will come on and they wouldn't have listened to the intro of the pre-recorded bit, and they'll say, and we have so-and-so in studio this morning, and then they come on again going, and we have so-and-so in studio this morning. That's just absolutely, I mean, I drive my car off the road when that happens sometimes. Um, and then the beauty about WhatsApp these days is I send a voice note to the producer, uh, and I just scream and shout and 
messages received. Um, but, but, but I think for, um, to answer your question further, like we've replayed the interview of the Sidwana Bay guest house owner on Drive, but that was a tighter, watered-down version of the interview because it's drive time uh, and, and we try to play more music in the afternoons. Um, so we would pre-record it then. But I think you know, the important thing around pre-recording any content is that it mustn't lose its soul and spirit. You know, it's very easy to take an interview and make it absolutely clinical and perfect, but have no soul and spirit. So I think the way, uh, and, and great producers can edit in a way that still keeps the sound authentic. More questions for Zane? On uh, the Grant and Anneli and Rob Forbes and Fix thing, Zane, I just want to say I've worked with both teams. Um, just saying. Yeah, weren't you responsible for putting Forbes and Fix together? Uh, when I got there, they just put them together. And okay. interesting with, with them, we gave ourselves 18 months yeah. before we knew that. So they're basically on 18 months now, yeah. and it's what you pick up. They know each other. But in the beginning, it was a really hard sell. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you talk about research uh, in terms of music, which is of great interest to me. What kind of research do you do? How much money is invested in it and how much time is invested in it um so we do bi-weekly call out um does everyone know what call out is if you don't know what call out is put up your hand okay call out is when you test the new music that's been uh, added to your playlist so the stuff that's kind of in high rotation your a's your b's your c's and new songs that have just come out that you think you should play um we test a list of 35 songs every two weeks um and then we spend time uh, putting the list together, firstly, because I think that's important. Sometimes there's songs that you know are about to move off rotation, so you wouldn't uh, test them again. Uh, or there might be a song that has been uh, off rotation for a while, but you're thinking about bringing it back. So you've really got to consider the playlist, and you've got to consider the music landscape. Uh, the music then gets tested with your specific uh, target audience in mind. It's obviously important not to test music with people who your station's not targeting um, because they'll skew what your sample will look like. We get it back, we normally have um, a look at it individually and then we meet uh, as a team uh, and discuss and then our music manager Debbie Sharrett and I have a fist fight about <laughs> which songs go into the A list, which songs go into the B list, which songs do we dump. Because um, as much as it's scientific, if you have a list from 1 to 35 and the first five songs are the A list songs, it's not always that simple, you know, when you're crafting uh, a sound for your radio station, and we were talking about the music sound earlier, it's important to make sure that the A-list is balanced, not just from a genre perspective, but from uh, an age perspective. Some songs are older, some songs are newer. So we, so we take a lot of time, and then the other form of music testing that we do is auditorium music testing, just for those of you who don't know what that is. Uh, we test about 1,200 songs from the 80s, 90s, noughties, up to about 18 months ago. And we then play about the top 400, maybe sometimes 300 of those songs. Um, and then we rotate them uh, as 80s, 90s, and noughties um, to give us uh, a sense of what older music our listeners want. When you're an adult contemporary station, it's important that you balance the music between old and new. Uh, we understand from our market study that our audience's favorite music uh, is R&B from the 90s, R&B from the 80s, um, 
pop music from today, uh, soft noughties music. What does soft noughties music mean? It means songs like Celine Dion and Lady Antebellum. Um, and then the South African pop, actually. Um, so that makes up the core sound. And so all the songs in our auditorium music test would have had to go through that filter uh, in order to test. So, um, you know, by example, David Guetta and Avicii didn't really feature in our AMT this time around because their sound doesn't fit the station. Um, an AMT will set you back anything from three to 500,000 Rand per go. Uh, you normally do two a year if you can afford it. Um, and call out, depending on how many songs you test, depending on how many people you test, uh, again, can cost you anything from about 65,000 Rand to 150,000 Rand a month. So we do spend a considerable amount on, on music research, and it's the most researched part of our product. How many uh, people would be your... your uh so that's order. not really big. Um, if I, I mentioned, I might have mentioned earlier, our market study was a thousand people. The average call out an AMT is only 120 people. So you know it, it's not a big amount, but each person that you test needs to be paid, um, and you'd normally pay them like six or seven hundred rand a pop. <laughs> so it becomes quite an expensive uh, exercise, and you have to feed them, and you have to hire a venue, and you have to pay the research company, so it does become quite an expensive exercise. But it's well worth it when you start to hear that the songs in the playlist start to make sense. Um, just a question about on-air content for your presenters or presenters in general. So um, do you prefer that presenters have um, detailed scripts or do you prefer that they freestyle their content? Um, I don't know. How do you weigh that? Um, I think, uh, like the guy was talking about callers earlier, I think when you're starting out, if you're attempting uh, what I'd call a brave piece of content, so something a little bit more uh, daring, something a little bit more out of your comfort zone, writing down a couple of pointers is probably not a bad idea. Um, there are presenters who script every single link. Um, again, you know, talking about soul and spirit, I don't know if that gets lost a little when you do that and, and, and it becomes too clinical. You should avoid, I know I'm very bad at going, um, 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 and, and if you're one of those people, then maybe scripting is something that'll work for you. But as a radio presenter, it's also something you should practice, and your craft should be such. I mean, I think, like I said, a link should have a reset, an execution, and a throw forward. And if you jot down three things that you want to achieve out of the link, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially if you're working in a team, so that everyone knows what the direction of the link is and where the out for the link is. We'll take one more question if there's one. Then on that note, Zane, thanks very much for a really positive hour and a half.